Hello and welcome to this episode of Every Voice Counts. As I said to you that I was going to be doing three podcasts on my visit to the prisons with Senator Kim Pate. My name is Mubina Jaffer and to continue my podcast series about my visits to BC Federal Prisons. I will be discussing the next prison we went to, Fraser Valley Federal Prison for Women in Abbotsford. Senator Pate and I together have visited this prison not that long ago. But it felt like we'd come to, at least for me, it felt like we'd come to a completely different prison in many ways. Senator Pate, can you comment on that, please? You're talking about between our first visit and exactly. our second, yes. Uh, well, it did, and it, it just shows um, the difference that uh, the lockdowns, I think. It, it was a prison that was being locked down a lot when we visited the first time, almost two years ago. Now it's a prison that has been on almost constant lockdown, not just because of COVID, but also because of the implementation of new regimes that were supposed to be getting rid of segregation, the structured intervention units, but also that virtually everybody has been locked down for most of that period. Um, I suspect short staff and the fact that you commented on how many staff were acting in positions as opposed to being in, um, in their positions. And so I think that showed a, a big part of the difference. Yeah, what did you see as different? I so it was like as if we were going to a separate prison from what we had been. And, you know, I was very, as you said, I was extremely struck that everybody was in, almost everybody was in an acting position, even though they were the same people, many who reminded us that they had met us last time, and yet they were all still in acting position. I found that disconcerting because, you know, we all know if you're in an acting position, the authority is very different. So there are many challenges at um, William Head uh, compared to, in a, to, to from William Head. And, you know, the face value was very different from William Head. The Federal Prison for Women had prisoners at all security levels, from minimum to medium to maximum security. And Senator Pate, I was accompanied by you and your staff, Emily Grant, and your former staff member, Ms. Sheehy, and, of course, my staff member, Madison, for this visit. And... You know, when you talked about lockdown, it really reminded me of the difficult life a prisoner has, particularly for a woman. And, you know, we have all complained about lockdown. And I was very humble that we don't even know what lockdown is until we, we went to this prison. And uh, uh, as we know that at Fraser Valley, the women in minimum are either in housing unit style area along with medium security prisoners and the women in maximum security and much more controlled area. All these units have cameras which are constantly watched by, by guards. And as we did at William Head, we first met with the prison staff in a gymnasium. And this is still haunting me. When the staff told us that 61% of all prisoners, of all prisoners, and 89% of those classified as maximum security are indigenous women. I don't think, know if people realize that indigenous people are only 2 to 4% of our population. And yet in maximum security, there were 89%. What does that say about our society? What does that say about our society? There's a lot that we have to think about. And 
this again is yet another example of the overrepresentation of indigenous people particularly of women in canadian prisons senator pate you have visited prisons for a long time has anything changed for indigenous women well in fact it has become far worse as you may remember my first speech in the senate was to talk about the overrepresentation of indigenous women in federal penitentiaries and at that time um, women were around 30 percent now overall they're between 42 and 44 percent and as you mentioned in some parts of the country particularly the prairies and bc uh, and ontario actually they represent far higher percentages and and if we then looked at only youth in saskatchewan for instance when i was recently involved in a case there uh, 98 percent of the girls in custody were indigenous that tells you that the system is entirely skewed against, that they, the intersections of, of um, race, gender, class, mean that you're more likely to end up not only in prison, but also at a higher security level. And we know there have been court cases challenging the security classification for exactly those reasons. No, um, we obviously met with the staff for a while, and the staff told us very proudly that they had handled the COVID pandemic. And they assured us that the little, very little had changed for women in spite of the health crisis, the pandemic. But that's not what the women said to us, right? The women prisoners, we heard concerns from the women about the injustice that, um, so many injustices, but first of all, the lockdowns, you know, and yet the staff gave us another picture. And so uh, your way of approaching when we go to prisons is to make sure we meet, meet with all separately Yet the stories are so different, right? And what, how did you feel about about that? You know, well, it's not uncommon. Yeah, what usually happens is we meet with the administration first. They give us the version that is the official version of what's happening. As you notice, when we went into the prison and started to meet with individual staff members, their views and their versions of what happened are much more similar to those of the prisoners. And that's that's exactly what we experienced, what I've experienced over my lifetime of doing the work, but also what we experienced when we did the human rights uh, review and, and the study was the same sort of thing. It's why so many of the issues we would talk about, we heard something from the the management or the administration, and then we'd hear a very different story from the frontline staff or the programming staff and the prisoners. Yeah, in many ways, you know, learned more from the frontline staff sometimes than we did from management because the management had one version, and yet I would observe that a, a, a frontline worker would pull you aside and tell you something, and, uh, you know, it would be very different from what we heard, and so... There's so much work to be done, but one thing, and it might sound uh, like, uh, you know, of all the different things, why am I talking about this, but really struck me that the wages of the prisoners have not been increased for 40 years. And yet, something I didn't know beforehand, that they have to, they have to buy from a catalog. And they were explaining to us that in a catalog, for example, a television might be $80.00 at a store in in Vancouver, because this was in, uh, in 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 that area, and yet in the catalog it would be three hundred dollars for the same product. Socks would be five dollars. The catalog would be twenty dollars. Shorts would be thirteen dollars. Catalog would be fifty dollars. The government has also acknowledged that the catalog system has to go, 
and yet they keep renewing it and they keep renewing it. Uh, we are even taking away the least humanity we can from, especially women prisoners. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that, Senator Pete? Well, I think the catalog has been an issue. It's an issue in the Human Rights Report as well. And uh, it, it's interesting for people to know that it used to be the job of a prisoner and staff, sometimes a staff member, sometimes two prisoners, to actually do all the ordering, to look up what's on sale, to help people stretch their dollar as far as they can. And think about it if we did that to in you know, here, let's say we were only allowed to order from one place and they had prices that were inflated three to 400 to 500 to even more higher percentage. And our wages were capped at $5 a day or $6 a day. Uh, on top of that, they have to pay room and board about 30%. Of, so four of those $6 or $5 $2 goes to paying room and board. And what's interesting is when the former head of uh, corrections visited one of uh, a different penitentiary, one that we went to last time, uh, the Fern, what used to be called Ferndale Minimum, now is called the Mission Minimum, he heard these stories from men prisoners, and he suggested they all apply for an exemption from the room and board, and he granted them all exemptions. The hypocrisy of that is if he knew that situation, rather than require prisoners to fight that with limited access, limited resources, limited legal support, why didn't he just change the policy? That policy was brought in place um, previous, you know, by previous government. Uh, the last time there was any attempt to raise the wages was, um, I forget who was minister at the time, but it was a liberal minister. He um, brought forward the issue, was going to try and raise the wages of prisoners. Immediately it was said by cabinet, no, this won't be a popular opinion. So uh, nobody want, cares what happens to prisoners. And in fact, if they, we raise it, they'll, they'll possibly suggest we take away all of their money. So that's the kind of mentality people have. It's almost like prisoners deserve whatever they get, they deserve. And People forget that prisons are uh, the punishment or the penalty is being sent to prison, separation from the community. People aren't supposed to be then forever punished evermore. And so I think, you know, we one of the things that many of us on the Human Rights Committee thought is that they should at the very least bring back the, the policy where they would actually have prisoners and staff, you know, do some of the shopping. Those who had access to go out on passes could do the shopping for other prisoners, that it would be a more fair process. And that the catalog really has allowed the government to set up a monopoly for an American company. It's not even a Canadian company, it's an American company. And so why on earth would we allow that to happen? Similarly, the same thing happens with phones. The, the cost of making phone calls, corrections research itself says that if someone maintains contact with their family and their community, they're more likely to be successful when they get out. So what's the first thing that happens? They get a phone card, they have to pay exorbitant rates for phone calls. Instead of facilitating that, it actually interferes with that kind of community access and that kind of community support. And, and it goes on, you know, like when we were sitting in circles with the women prisoners and, you know, I was observing them and they were all so keen to improve their lives. And, you know, the women we spoke to, they were just uh, really enthusiastic to learn. And yet, they don't even, a thing like high school, they have to, um, they have to pay for it themselves. Who has the money in ordinary life to pay for education? And they have to pay for their high school education. 
and then forget if she wants to upgrade her old grades or even go to university she virtually has no way to do so and f- throughout the pandemic there have been no programs available mm-hmm. i felt like we we lock the women up we throw the key and hope they'll never come back it doesn't work like that and it really i have to tell you that after i visited fraser valley because it's in my province i felt really paralyzed for many days i didn't feel that we were doing anything to prepare these women who are mothers daughters aunties grandmothers and our friends too to ch- have a chance to learn and grow how can we expect them to leave prison and to rejoin society we don't give them a chance no and we seem to forget that these are not people who came from another planet these are people coming from our community and many of them will return to our communities most of them will return to our communities and why not set up a situation that is better for them and better for us overall one thing about high school is that there is a responsibility of corrections to provide high school education but it's usually only uh GED and anything more than that is what they have to pay for so just in case anybody's listening and says yeah. hang on they do provide um it's a, it's the great GED equivalency which as we know is often not seen as uh in the same light as an actual high school yeah. education but but these were not, programs are not being provided especially during the pandemic so it even becomes worse yes. that's right yeah you know high school but anything above any other uh, you know like i heard women wanted to do courses on child care so that when she came out she could do you know child care and she said i have no courses to go for that and no gain it reminds me of you know when i used to do defense work with my law partners former Tom, uh, Supreme Court Justice Thomas Dome, he used to often say, you know, do these judges realize that we have to prepare for prisoners to come back mm-hmm. and integrate into society? We do not throw the key away. Yeah. And most prisoners will be released. And after the Fraser Valley institution visit, I genuinely feel we're doing very little to prepare a prisoner to join us. and these are our family members mostly thank you very much senator pate and we will be doing our last podcast on kent uh prison very shortly thank you thank you